Well, hey everyone, good morning, and welcome to uh, Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel, and I am one of the pastors here at Res City. I'm very thankful to have you joining us, as always, on this uh, wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to hop into our message uh, for this Sunday. Lord, we thank you for another day, another Sunday where we can gather together, we can worship you, we can um, have fellowship with one another, Lord, we can take communion and remind ourselves of of what you've done for us, Um, and we can sit um, and spend some time learning from your word, Lord. I pray that as we do that this morning, as we ponder what it means to be a a disciple, God, as we wrap up this series that we've been in uh, to start off 2024, that you'd be with us, your presence would guide us, you would speak to us through your spirit uh, and lead us to all truth, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start off uh, today with what is a, a, I think it's a somewhat famous phrase um, or, or, or concept, and it's this, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. I don't know if this is something, has any of you heard this before, this phrase? I think it's, it's kind of like a popular in the design world maybe, um, but it, it basically the idea is that the, 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 the more you can get rid of complexity in any situation, that's usually a better thing. Um, and, and actually that leads us into deeper sophistication, actually, by getting uh, away from complex, complexity. Now, apparently, uh, supposedly Leonardo da Vinci said it, right? But I don't think, it's one of those things where like, it's attributed to some famous person and it really wasn't them. But that's kind of, you know, apparently where, where it started. Um, and let me, let me explain the concept a little bit by giving you a scenario, right, to help you understand where simplicity actually might be sophisticated. Um, imagine you're, you're, you're going to be driving, you're going to be doing an overnight work trip, and you're going to some new city, you've never been there before, and you've got some meetings kind of scheduled with like other people you work with in your company or something, all right? But imagine that it's the year 2005, so you do not have a smartphone, what kinds of things do you need to bring with you in order to make this trip happen? All right, I actually just want to throw it out to you. Shout out some things that you would have to pack and bring with you because you don't have a smartphone. So, okay, so a bunch of stuff there. So I heard a map, yeah, or a GPS, right? You have to bring a road map or one of those early GPSs. All right, what, what else? Someone else said some other stuff? A map, a map okay, a map quest. Yeah, map a big, a big one, yeah. Um, I was thinking you would need like a paper calendar maybe to keep your meetings straight that you have on this trip. You might need to bring like a note, notepad or a notebook in order to keep your notes straight for like the meetings you're going to. You probably would need like a laptop. Maybe you do have to check your email while you're out there. Like so you're going to have to bring a laptop along with you. Um, a couple of other things that I thought of, and I was just trying to think back to, you know, to this time like of all the things that you would have to bring along to make a trip like this work. Um, an alarm clock? You might need to bring an alarm clock. Like, a lot, you know, some hotels have alarm clocks, but, or you can have the front desk call to wake you up, but you might need to bring an alarm clock. I do remember bringing alarm clocks on trips when I was younger. Um, okay, on the drive, what are you going to do? You have to bring some CDs or something, right? Like you need to bring so- something to to listen to on the drive or cassette tapes or whatever it is, right? There are, and that's just like six things that I thought of off the top of my head, thinking about what would need to be brought on a trip like this because you don't have your smartphone, right? Um, 
you know, you could be bringing along the, the you know, cut, a cutting-edge alarm clock or, the, you know, the prettiest, like, notebook or, like, the newest laptop or a state-of-the-art GPS or, or, or the most up-to-date roadmap or whatever. But the, it doesn't matter how, you know, complex or state-of-the-art those things are. The most sophisticated thing you could bring is if you could have one device that did all of those things, right? Like your phone. And so simple is uh, sophisticated, right? It doesn't mean that it's without depth, you know? Your phones are incredibly complex, far more complex devices than anything we just talked about. But because everything is simplified into one, it makes that a far more sophisticated thing than anything else you could do, right? That's kind of the concept. Simple is sophisticated. Simple can, uh, something that can do many things at once is far better than a bunch of things that each do one thing, right? That's the concept here. So let me ask you this, right? Assuming you, you're sitting here, you're at church, so this is probably true of you, you want to be a disciple of Jesus, right? What would simple but sophisticated discipleship look like, right? Would it be to read tons of books on discipleship that, you know, there's a ton of books on discipleship that you could find to read. Would it be to read all of those things, all the different methods, all the different information in there, and like, you know, cramming your brain full of all of these things and trying to keep them all straight, right? Kind of like stuffing a suitcase full of items for a trip. Or would it be something that's far more simple that kind of encapsulates all these different concepts and just a few ideas or words, right? Simplicity being the ultimate sophistication would mean a sophisticated discipleship would actually be really simple for us to follow and live out and would kind of draw everything up into itself. Well, our contention as a church is that a disciple is someone who is simply knowing, go- growing, going, and doing it together. And that's where the series that we're in right now, the, the, this, uh, this series through those four words that we use to try to chart out what we're trying to do as a church and what we're encouraging everyone who goes to Res City to focus on, or these four ideas, would give, gives us a, a simple picture of what discipleship looks like, right? And we spent the last seven weeks unpacking what those ideas each mean. And as we've done that, you know, you've seen that these are complex, but by bringing them all together in those simple four ideas, we can see a sort of sophistication in simplicity. And that's been our real goal and why we, uh, have, we really have embraced these four words as a church, because we think it lays out such a simple um, yet profound and sophisticated idea of what it looks like to be disciples. It's really all about discipleship. And that's why we have done this series and used these words as a church. Right, and so like I said, we've talked about these ideas, but today in our last uh, sermon in the series, we want to try to sum it all up by talking about what it would look like to live these four ideas out in a in discipleship in a really um, basic kind of day to day way, kind of wrapping it all up and summing it up into one portrait of discipleship. Okay, and so what we're going to do today is we're going to spend some time in Luke chapter five and look at what a portrait of discipleship can look like, where we see people knowing, growing, going together, and that's really all they're doing, all right? To kind of sum up everything that we've done. It's very simple. It's a very sort of, in a lot of ways, very ordinary story of just some disciples following after Jesus, and it's really representative of all of Jesus' ministry, but I think as we look at the simplicity of it, we start to see how sophisticated it all is. Now, a little note here, this is wrapping up this series that we're doing, but actually it's going to be a bit of a transition into our next series, which we're going to be starting next week, which is we're calling Ordinary Faith. And I'm really very excited for this 
for this series. Um, the big idea of that series is that discipleship is not something that happens sort of apart from all of our regular daily lives, but it's something that happens within them, right? And I think that sometimes, you know, we might believe that that's true, but it's, it's helpful to really meditate on what that would look like. And so this series that we're going to be doing is going to be talking about how we do these ideas of no, grow, go together, discipleship within the normal parts of our lives that we have, right? Um, what our lives consist of, you know, the cluttered and chaotic lives that most of us live on a day-to-day basis, what does it look like for us to be disciples of Jesus within those things? And that's what we're going to be doing in this series. I'm really, I'm really, really excited about, about this one. Um, and today, like I said, it'll be a bit of a, maybe a bit of a bridge into that as we see an ordinary sort of story of discipleship uh, within Scripture. Now, a little reminder, if you've been with us for this series on what we mean by these words, no, grow, go together. Um, By knowing, we mean abiding and learning. That's what we talked about in the first two weeks. By growing, we mean bearing Christ-like fruit. Those were were messages three and four. By going, we mean service and invitation. Uh, We talked about those in in the fifth and sixth uh, messages. And then last week, Julie talked about doing it together, doing it all in community. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through this passage in Luke 5, or at least most of the, the passage. We'll skip a couple of verses in there in the middle. But we're going to read through this, this passage and kind of refresh what these ideas mean and see how the, the, the disciples that are following after Jesus are doing these things. And then we'll kind of end each section of that with a little bit of contemplation, some questions for you to maybe ask yourself uh, to, to kind of get a sense for, well, how does my discipleship maybe compare to what's going on in this story or these, these words that we're using? Okay, and um, we're, we're going to start putting our slides on, online for you so you can follow them along on your phone. If that's a little bit easier, you can kind of go back, or if there's a, something you want to reread that we, we kind of have moved past in the sermon, you're going to have these online for you now. You can take out your phone, you can snap a picture of the QR code, um, and also we're just going to have a place on the website every week where these are going to live, redcitychurch.org slash slides. So that's somewhere you can go every single week from now on to get those. All right, so let's hop into it. Let me read uh, Luke 5, uh, verses 1 to 11, and we're going to jump to verses 27 to 31. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds uh, pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Jump into verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
Later, uh, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. So what you have here are these these stories of, of really a bunch of very normal people in a lot of ways. Some fishermen or a tax collector, both very common professions in the ancient world. And Jesus is, is teaching some crowds and he invites them to follow him and be his disciples. And we start to see what that looks like as he starts to kind of gather them together. Right? And the first thing that we see them doing is knowing God. Right? And like I said, by what we mean by knowing God is abiding and learning. Now, let's look and see in the passage where we find those two things taking place, all right? First of all, abiding. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, most important, right? These disciples are following Jesus because they have been invited to follow him. They are aware that they have been welcomed to follow after Jesus and know God because of it. Jesus literally seeks them out and does something to them, inviting them, asking them to come follow him, connecting with them on some personal level, we see, like with Jesus and the fishermen, um, to have them come and follow him, right? And in the first message, we kind of kicked the series off, no part one, we talked about the new birth, in John 3. It's this thing that God does in the hearts of disciples to give them a call or a taste to want to follow after Jesus, an emotional awareness that it's not just uh, something abstract. Jesus is not just some vague teacher out there that we can maybe get some wisdom from, but that he wants us to follow him, that we have been perfectly or personally welcomed to follow him and to see God not just as a father, but our father, Right? This is an essential beginning of being a disciple, of knowing that we have been called to new life with him. Right? And this is what starts the discipleship journey off, is this personal call. Right? But what happens after that takes place is that they leave to spend all their time with Jesus. They are constantly spending time around him. Right? In the case of Levi, his new life of discipleship will always be, uh, be with being present with Jesus and leaving his old life behind in many ways in order to do it. Now, if you don't know what discipleship looked like in the ancient world, this isn't something actually Jesus invented. It's actually very, a very common uh, understanding to have a rabbi or a master and have disciples be following after them in the ancient world, right? Um, people recognize Jesus as this rabbi figure. They call him rabbi often in the Gospels. Um, when Peter calls him master, that kind of goes to show that he was viewed by people that weren't his disciples in this way as well. Okay, but, but learning under a rabbi meant to not go to a class with them once or twice a week, but to constantly be with them, to take in their teaching on an everyday, every moment basis. It was very common in ancient Israel to see a rabbi traveling around with his disciples in tow, just kind of like a little entourage, right? That was a very common image. And so discipleship was this form of 
uh, sort of intense, uh, sort of secondary education, right? There was kind of first order uh, levels of education, but it was like getting a PhD. But the classes, like I said, were actually doing life with the rabbi, hearing his teaching, but also observing his life being with him, having him speak to you personally. This is what it meant to be a disciple of someone. And so Jesus has personally chosen these people by name and asked them to follow him, which meant to be with him at all times, right? And so the call for us as disciples is to also choose to daily be with Jesus and to follow after him as he shows us how to see God as our Father, how to live in the new life that he's welcomed us to be part of. And Jesus calls this abiding, and re- or remaining with him. We see that in John 15, simply spending time with him. Now, uh, Jesus is not physically with us, right? That's the challenge for us as modern-day disciples, is that we are not with Jesus personally, but that was always part of the plan for Jesus. We see this in John 14, verse 26. He says, The companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I told you. So when the Holy Spirit comes on us, when we walk by the Spirit, when we keep in step with the Spirit, we walk along the path that the Spirit guides us in. This is something we've done whole uh, sermon series on at Res City. We are being reminded and taught of what our rabbi or our master, Jesus, wants us to be as disciples. That's what it means to, to walk with the Spirit, right? And to know God, you have to abide, Right? The Spirit helps us to abide with our master, just like a disciple spending time with their rabbi. And as disciples, we can't really get very far without this. This is the, the most important, I think, aspect of discipleship, discipleship because it starts everything else off. All right? Now, from here, it's from here that we live the rest of our lives, right? And so that ought to be our question all the time. But we're not just being with Jesus. We're learning from him as well. All right, and that's the second part of knowing, is learning. And we see this in, in, in verses 30 and 32. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they're sinners and need to repent. Now, in this part of the story, the disciples are all together. They're being around Jesus together as a group, and they have a chance to learn a deep truth about the kingdom. Often when Jesus is asked a question, he takes it as sort of an opportunity to teach his disciples. He wants them to be learning from the situations that they're finding themselves in, right? And so what he does here is actually, if you think about it, he teaches them like, ethics and theology. That's what this statement that he has to say in verse 31 and 32 is really about. Um, Jesus tells them, this is why I spend so much time around, you know, quote-unquote scum, these unattractive people according to society. I find them to be actually worth spending my time around. And he teaches them a deep truth about the kingdom, that he came for those who understand their need of him. Now, if you just really, and this is not at all the point of the sermon, so I'm just, you know, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but just think about what we're learning here by this statement as we really think about it and ponder over it and meditate it, meditate on it. We're learning who God is. Like, we're learning something profound about the character of God, that he is a physician, he's a healer, that he has come for those who are sick. That's who God is, right? We learn something about ourselves, that the self-awareness and repentance, understanding our need of God is so important. 
Um, it's necessary for us to, if we want to find healing, we have to grapple with our need to be healed in the first place. Um, it gives us, us an idea of who we should be spending our time around as well and what should we, we should be doing around them. We should be seeking to be healers like God and Jesus as well, right? All these things that we learn as we spend time around Jesus and we meditate on what he's taught us, right? All these are vitally important concepts for disciples to learn and live. So a disciple is constantly learning by being around Jesus and meditating on what we hear from him and turning that into a learning that is not just in our heads, but as we'll see, um, becomes part of who we are. All right, so a couple questions for you to maybe ponder over or think about as we wrap up this, this section, the no part of this passage, is ask yourself these questions. Am I around Jesus so that I know him personally as part of my daily life? Am I fulfilling that, that sort of basic understanding of what a disciple is, someone who spends time around their master, around their rabbi? Am I doing that? Is that a part of my daily life? And secondly, am I, like a true disciple, learning from him and his word as it is spoken to me? Am I meditating on it? Am I thinking about what that might mean for me so that I can go and now start to live like the rabbi that I'm spending my time around? We're going to put these questions in our community group material this week. They'll kind of sort of form the basis of community group material. So they can, you can definitely come back to these. We'd love to have you continue to think about them, but we're going to move on in the sermon here to the next section, to the growing part. Now, by growing, we define this as bearing Christ-like fruit. Um, and we see this in uh, the passage in verses f- uh, 11 and 28. And we're talking about really sacrifice, this idea of Christ-likeness. Uh, in Luke 5, 11, and as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. And in verse 28, so Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, in Julie's sermon, if you guys uh, were able to hear that one, uh, Grow Part 2, where she talked about this, she talked about how necessary for growth the idea of sacrifice is. I'm just going to quote her here a, a little bit. If we want to be followers of Jesus, if we want to take that seriously, then we have to be willing to deny ourselves if we want to see change, growth, and ultimately the freedom of life with Jesus. And she gave some examples of what this looks like, kind of in just regular day-to-day life, how this is such a very normal part of growing in any way. If you want to experience the growth of physical strength, you have to deny yourself time on the couch and not lifting heavy things. If you want to grow the amount of money in your bank account, you have to deny yourself the pleasure of eating out and buying new things, right? This is a very normal principle that we see in the natural world that is also true of us as disciples, And for these first disciples of Jesus, we're we're told that if they wanted to be his disciples, if they wanted to follow after him, they had to sometimes leave everything. They had to sacrifice everything in order to do it. And so we see in this passage, they left jobs or comfort, familiarity, duties and responsibilities that they had in order to be with Jesus and be his disciples. They joined in his ministry, and like we said, he, they literally followed him all over the land of Israel for three years. Now, we're, we're told that Levi leaves everything here in this passage, but literal, uh, later in the passage, we're also told he hosts a party at his house, okay? So it, it, it probably, it didn't, he didn't sell his house, right? He still had uh, some, some resources in order to host parties and stuff. Right? It might not be exactly that every single thing he had, he sold it away so that he could follow after Jesus. Um, but it's, it's put to a new use, and I think that's the bigger thing. It's put to a new use. His life has been reoriented around God's purpose and Jesus' mission. 
He's left any other purpose for his life uh, that he would use his stuff for than the one of specifically following after his rabbi. And so we're probably not going to be called to literally leave everything to follow Jesus. Though some people, some people will be, I think. But we are, might be asked to leave more than we might think to do it. I can think back in my own life to a time where I felt something similar, where I was being called to, to give up quite a bit in order to follow after Jesus. And this is just my story. It's not everyone's story at all. But this definitely made me think about a time in college where I, I did sort of have a a, 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 a roadmap for my life, kind of mapped out for me, uh, very clearly set apart. I had a dream career. I had opportunities. I had connections. I was doing what I wanted to do with this, and that was sort of the path that I was walking on. And I discerned after, at a certain point, God was calling me to leave all of that. And I didn't know necessarily where he was calling me to follow him, but just to give that up and follow after him. And that's what has led me to the place of ministry that I'm in right now. And it was not a fun time. I, I, will, I will totally say to you, I did not like, I was not the greatest example of this in the world or anything like that. I'm not propping myself up as some great example. I'm just saying this kind of stuff still happens today where we're called to leave what we might want to do with our lives, with the, the things that we want to put our, 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 our lives toward to follow after Jesus. Jesus is going to call us to leave those things sometimes. But when we do, we become more like him and we start to grow more into the people that he truly wants us to be rather than the people that we might be trying to turn ourselves into. And that's how this works. So question, question for contemplation for you. What are you giving up? What are you denying? What are you sacrificing as part of your discipleship for Jesus. Like I said, it's going to look different for all of us a lot of times, right? There might be a few things we're all called to give up, but mostly it's stuff that you discern as you spend time abiding with Jesus that he might be calling you to give up so that you can be a disciple of his, right? And related to that, uh, where is your time for regular self-reflection and confession of sin and your deep feelings to God? We talked about how in order to bear fruit in that, in that message uh, uh, that we talked about um, how that is allows us to actually bear real fruit is confession and repentance. Turning from uh, the paths that we're on in order to follow the paths that God leads us to is what causes us to truly bear his fruits. But we have to know what that looks like through self-reflection and confession in order to get there. All right, I'll leave that up for, for just another couple seconds for you and then we'll move on. All right, let's move into service. Going, service and invitation. First one here, service, like I just said. Luke 5.30. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? Right, so we see here this rabbi, Jesus, is taking his disciples to spend some, you know, real quality time with quote-unquote scum, right? These people that, at least culturally speaking in that time, were seen as not worth uh, someone like Jesus' attention, right? And we see this throughout his ministry. He took special concern for those who had been most affected by the ruin of creation, uh, the, the least of these, widows, orphans, unemployed, refugees, migrants, beggars, diseased, and suffering. And he spent his time feeding them, giving them dignity and worth, inviting them to a sort of honor in his kingdom rather than being second-class citizens in the kingdom that they lived in at the time. And he served them. He served them. He washed their feet. He chose to be around them. It was an essential part of his ministry. And because of that, 
it was an essential part of the ministry of his disciples too. If we're disciples of Jesus, think about what that means for us today too, right? We are called also to spend time around people like that because that's where our rabbi, Jesus, is calling us to spend our time. Are we spending time around the least of these? Do we know them? Do we love them? Right? It's hard to serve them if we're not spending time around them. That's literally the first step to that idea, is having to be around the least of these in order to serve them. Right? I don't think we often think of that as an essential part of discipleship, but very clearly it was an essential part of discipleship for Jesus and his disciples who followed him at the very beginning. But Jesus wanted to do more with those people that he was around than to just improve their quality of life or give them some dignity. He wanted to invite them to be in his kingdom. He wanted to invite them to be disciples as well. And Jesus tells his disciples, uh, from now on you'll be fishing for people. That's what he tells Peter in verse 10. And in verse 29, um, we see Levi invites his fellow tax collectors to eat with them, to be part of this meal that he's having with Jesus right? Um, Levi takes this so seriously that right, right away, one of the first things that he does is he starts to think about the people in his life who he can invite to encounter Jesus too. People that he thought might want to meet Jesus as well, right? And he just invites them to a meal at his house to be with Jesus. It's nothing profound. It's just come together. Let's have a meal with these other disciples and you can meet Jesus. That's as basic as that. And if you remember, Nate, in his message on this, on invitation, talked about how we all have things in our life that are life-changing or that we love, right? Every single one of us do, and we talk about the things that we love with other people. That's what we see Levi doing here. This, this is something that had changed his life and that he now loved, and he was inviting other people to experience it as well, right? And he left us with this question that I found to be quite challenging, how life-changing is, is something, or how much do you love something if you never talk about it or invite people to know it too? I think it's a really good question to ask ourselves. And we see Levi believed that this was something that had changed his life so much that he couldn't help but invite his fellow tax collectors to join him in it, right? And we invite people by telling our stories, right? So think about what probably happened before this meal, the invitation that Levi extended to these other tax collectors. He could say things to them like, I'm a tax collector too, and I understand how, like, in the ancient world, tax collectors were seen as very despised. They were very hated in the world that they lived in. And so you have to imagine that while, you know, they were making good money, most of them felt pretty empty in the inside. And we have to imagine this is probably behind why Levi was so interested in following Jesus too. And he understood that that's probably how a lot of other tax collectors felt as well. And so he invited them to find the resolution and healing for their emptiness by coming to Jesus too. You can imagine he told them his story. Who better to relate to them and to tell a story that they could connect with than a fellow tax collector? And so I think we have a similar call on us as well, right? To, we're part of certain networks. We're, we have certain qualities about us that connect us to other people, right? Consider who you might be best equipped to share your story with. That's who you may be being called to do a similar thing to what Levi is doing here. So a couple questions for you to think about here as we wrap up this section. What barriers keep me from being around people who need to be served? And what barriers keep me from talking about what I love with the people around me?
All right, let's, uh, let's close here with the, the last section on together. Doing it all in community. Now, you'll notice at every point in the story, they're all together. Like nothing happens where they're not together with other people in the midst of all this, right? Great example, again, is this banquet that Levi throws at his house. Later, Levi held a banquet with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. Right? So Levi hosts this hangout at his place. And like we said, he invited tax collectors, but the, the, the main impetus for it is inviting these disciples to just gather around food and Jesus together. Right? Now, if you think this is just sort of like a one-off story, that normally the disciples would be spending all their time going off on their own, right? praying by themselves, right? uh, just doing it all through their phones or whatever, that's not the case. Right? This is, this is, these kinds of gatherings are incredibly common in the gospel. It seems Jesus and his disciples did them quite a bit, gathering together as disciples. Um, and yeah, Jesus did go off on his own to abide with God. Right? He needed, there was a personal aspect to his relationship with God that we see him doing, uh, going off into the wilderness to spend time in prayer and silence and solitude to connect with God. Right? And it's good for us to carve out that time for ourselves. Right? I am encouraging you to, f- to put that in your life, right? But I think that this can start to take on a life of its own, where we start to think that, that faith is all about our individual spiritual needs or our individual uh, connection to God. And the church just becomes some optional tool that we use to help us if we feel like we need it, right? If you don't believe me, this is becoming actually more and more common. There's lots of statistics around this as um, the number of people who are Christians who in every way seem to be very, um, very devout followers of Jesus, just their attendance and and membership in churches is plummeting across the United States, right? This is becoming more and more common for people to believe, right? To start to think that actually doing this within a group of people is not that important because that's just for some people who, you know, maybe they're more extroverted. And so they're going to go, they're going to find that to be helpful, but I would rather do it on my own, right? I'm too smart to need anybody else. I don't need any you know, the other followers of Jesus, they kind of embarrass me sometimes, right? Or I'm just introverted, right? I can do it on my own with a book or a podcast. That's all I really need in order to do this. What these are, these are lies that we tell ourselves. They're lies that are rooted more in the culture that we live in than in the actual uh, vision for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I was just at a a conference this week where uh, one of the speakers, a guy named Joel Lawrence, um, put it very compellingly. uh, We live in a culture of non-belonging. It creates a sort of thing within us where we don't feel like we belong to anybody else. And that's actually good that we don't feel any sort of belonging to anyone else. Okay, but in reality, the gospel and discipleship calls us to belong to each other. Right? That is an essential part of it, that we belong to one another, that the community of fellow disciples is not a tool that we choose to use whenever we want it, but it's a body that we've been born into. In the same way that a, a child who is born is born into a family, when we are born uh, through this new birth that God does in us, we are born into a family too, one that we belong to. And that family is the community of disciples. We have an obligation to one another. We are not meant to do it alone. And as Leslie Newbegin says, none of us can be made whole until we are all made whole together. That's the vision for discipleship, that we cannot be made whole until we are made whole together. 
right? I know that there are real barriers to this, right? Things like social anxiety come into play. I know, honestly, as we become more and more uh, individualized in this country, people's social skills have actually eroded. It's an interesting thing you see. People get anxiety or or feel like it's hard to talk to other people because we don't know how to do it because we don't do it very much, right? The church is a place where we can sort of learn those skills and start to come and be made whole together as we do this discipleship thing, not by ourselves, but within a community, just like Jesus always envisioned it, right? And notice one other thing here, okay? Notice the character of what their together looks like, okay? This banquet that Levi throws is not just sort of a hangout, right, where they're just getting together uh, to enjoy some good food with one another, but look, look, look what the purpose of it is. Jesus is the guest of honor in this banquet, He's the center of attention. He's the one that they all have gathered to be with in the first place, right? It's not just a hangout. They've gathered together with one another to make Jesus the center of what they're doing. And that is the, the, the quintessential character of Christian togetherness, is that Jesus is the guest of honor, right? They're all abiding together with Jesus in this moment, And I think that brings it all full circle, right? We see that Jesus, coming together to abide with Jesus with one another is the purpose of this. And we see that all of this is taking place together, right? They are uh, learning together, right? This is the moment where Jesus shares what we talked about before. They, They learn about the character of God, this ethics and theology of what it means to kind of be around like the least of these. Um, it's the setting where they invite people, right? Uh, Levi invites people, uh, to know Jesus in the setting with other disciples. Um, they are abiding, they're learning, they're inviting, they're serving, they're inviting. All of these things are taking place within a community. And I think that's the vision that we should have as well. These are not things that we just do on our own, but they're often going to take place within the larger family that God has put us into. Okay, so question for contemplation for you here. What excuses do I give myself for not taking opportunities to be around other disciples and to know and grow and go with them. Think about what those excuses are. We all have them. I have them too. <laughs> I have them too. We, we all have reasons that we might give ourselves for passing up opportunities to do this, right? What are those? And what are things you can tell yourself whenever they come to mind that might remind you of the need to gather with one another? All right, let's wrap up here. In conclusion, as we close, I want you to think about which of these areas that we've covered in the series have you found to be most lacking in your own discipleship, right? Is it, is it no, right? Do you fail to abide uh, with God on a regular basis? Or do you struggle for whatever reason to, with the learning aspect of it? Is, it? is it growing, right? Is it sacrifice? Is it denial? Or do you just feel like bearing the fruit of the Spirit in your life is just not a priority for you for some reason? Is it going? Are you uncomfortable with service or invitation for some reason? Or is it together? Is it doing it all in the context of the family that we've been uh, born into, right? The reality is, is that no one is doing all four of these perfectly, and, and that's okay, right? We're going to naturally gravitate towards one or, or two of these things probably, and, and, and just by the natural wiring that we have, some of these things are going to come a little bit easier for us, right? And that's normal. That's not a bad thing that we, we, we tend to gravitate towards one of these things uh, versus the others, and there's no sort of shame in recognizing that. But the call on us is to not just be good at one of these things, but to really try to grow ourselves in all four of them, right? Right? 
There are lots of reasons that people can come up with for not following Jesus, but fear of letting him down because we don't do some of these naturally or well necessarily, of being too plain or being unwanted by him are never reasons, right? This is what Peter thought too. Remember when, when, when Jesus directs them to where all the fish are at and he sees himself because of that as being so sinful, as not worthy of following someone like Jesus, he tells Jesus that. He looks at him and says, there's no way that Jesus is going to want me to be a disciple. I fall short. For whatever reason that Peter had in mind specifically there, he just thought he fell short of being a disciple of Jesus. But what Jesus tells him is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you be able to do things you didn't know you could do. Right? You will, whatever it is that you fear you fall short in Peter, you will be good. You will be wanted. You will be known for who you are. You will have guidance. You will be satisfied. You will know peace if you just trust me by following after me. And this continues to be his demeanor to us too. As we recognize the areas that we might fall short as disciples, his call is, is, is to never to, to tell us that he's afraid of that and therefore we can't be his disciples. But it's to uh, continue to invite us to just follow me and be my disciple. Just follow me and be my disciple. Right? Whatever seems most important to you that is keeping you from doing that, Jesus says those things can wait. It's more important than the fishermen's fishing. It's more important than the tax collector's tax collecting. Drop your nets, leave what you must, just follow me and be my disciple. And this is an invitation to everybody, right? It's an invitation to the person who has never experienced the call before. Jesus is saying to you, be my disciple. I want you to follow after me. It's saying to the person who maybe has done this in their life but has left it behind for some reason, you can pick it back up again. You can be my disciple. To the person maybe who is doing it but is weary of it, who is distracted or feels disinterested, the call again is to be revitalized, follow me, be my disciple. And it's the one who does it faithfully every single day. The call continues to be the same. Uh, Every single day, follow me, be my disciple. Jesus is calmly and compellingly inviting all of us right now to simply be like the people in this story, and follow after him. We're going we're gonna to wrap up here today by taking some communion um, and worshiping Jesus. Um, communion, I think, is a great uh, opportunity for us to, to do a lot of these different things, right? Maybe to abide with Jesus, to be reminded of how much he loves us by, uh, by, by uh, remembering that he, his body was broken and his blood was shed for us so that we may be able to abide with him, that we may be able to be his disciples in the first place. Uh, we can learn about who Jesus is as we reflect on communion as well. There's so much, there's so much depth to it as we take communion. Um, there is, uh, we're doing this all together. I think there's something really profoundly beautiful about all of us coming and taking a piece of bread from the same loaf as we do this together as a reminder that we're not in this alone. We take from the same loaf together. We, we, we partake in the same Jesus every single week, every single moment of our lives. We are doing this all together as a community. Okay? Whatever it is that maybe uh, the Spirit is guiding you to reflect on as you take communion, uh, try to ponder that and meditate on that as we, as we enter into this time. And then turn that into worship or praise of God through the opportunity uh, to, 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 to be led in worship by our worship team.
And as always, uh, we would love for you also to, uh, if you need any prayer for anything, there's going to be someone in the back praying for you. Maybe you would like for prayer to, to grow in one of these areas, or there, there, is, there is some way in which you want uh, to meet Jesus. Um, take an opportunity to let someone pray for you, right? There, there is such a simple way, uh, I think, for us to connect with Jesus, but it's also deeply profound by inviting someone else to be a part of this thing that you're desiring as you go after Jesus by letting them pray for you. Okay, let me pray for us all, and then we'll enter into this time. Lord, we thank you that you invite all of us to be your disciples, Lord. None of us are unworthy in some way. None of us um, do not meet the requirements for discipleship, God. You just simply ask us to follow after you, Lord, to know and to grow and to go and to do it all within the body of people that you have stitched us into, Lord. And I pray that um, wherever we're at right now hearing this, if we're someone who um, is, has been walking steadily with you for a long time, Lord, I pray that, that, that we, can, uh, we, we can still understand ways in which we can grow more. If we're someone who has not been walking with you, maybe we, we had been for a time, um, but we feel the call for discipleship once more, God, um, uh, r- remind us of your love for, uh, for, for, for you, God. Um, remind us that you love us and that you, you ask us to be disciples, even if that's been our story. And if, Lord, if we've never followed after Jesus, God, uh, let, let, let us know that you are the one who, who calls us despite uh, any rebellion, any sinfulness we can find within ourselves, any falling short, Lord, you still want us to be your disciple, God. I pray that your, your spirit would woo us towards that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.